Hi, Cocomites. It is Cocoma, the queen of Curacao. The... <laughs> well, I'm just trying to remember how I had to introduce myself. Hello, Cocomites. I haven't been here in so long. But let me, let me just tell you all, it's a pleasure to be back. Give me a second. I'm doing this podcast in my bedroom. And you know what I want to do? I want to turn the lights off. So give me just a second. In the meantime, in between time, how about you, Cocomites? Uh, listen to a little bit of my debut mixtape. <laughs> Wildflower, the prelude to freedom mixtape. I'll be right back, baby. I'm so happy to see you all, Cocomites. I got so much to share. Hey y'all, I'm back. So again, it's Coco Mama, the Queen of Crystal, aka Coco Mama, aka the best bitch walking, aka a bitch named Coco, <laughs> aka Mother Mutant, aka the Seraphim Goddess, aka the Ascendant Mistress, <sighs> aka Mother of the Modern Day Nazi Civil Rights Movement. Because as I always say, Revolutions are not, excuse me, revolutions are not created via optics or aesthetics, but analysis and work. And baby, I put the work in. I gave the language. I created the frameworks. I created the buildings. And it's my pleasure to be back doing my artivism because I am a musician as well as an activist and my activism doesn't look the way it used to when I was in my early 20s. I'm 34. I'm an old bitch. So my... <laughs> I'm an old girl. My activism looks different at the age of 34 than it did at the age of, say, 20, 24. Now, it's about helping and contributing to the betterment of the world in ways that empower me. I, as a black, dark-skinned Nazis woman, I refuse to do any work that jeopardizes my safety. At this point in my life, I am doing proactive self-care, which is a terminology I created some years ago because I feel like as women of color, especially black women, we have got to be proactive about the way in which we take care of ourselves because so much of society is always asking us to be on autopilot in assistance to achieving other people's goals. But when it comes down to what we need and what we believe, it doesn't always come into effect, relevance, significance, importance. People don't always care about what black women need. But I've learned that activism for me looks like taking good care of myself and outliving all the people who abused me and told me I wouldn't be able to make it. 
So with that being said, hello, Coco Minds, and welcome to another podcast of Coco the Queen of Crystal on, <laughs> you know, talking to my upstairs name, leave me alone, we're good. But yes, so let me just explain to you all what's going on. In addition to releasing this new album that we're just so happy you all are appreciating, Born Worthy Records, the home of Queer Soul. And what is Queer Soul? Queer Soul is soul music with the queer theory. Queer Soul is soul music that gives the marginalized the opportunity to centralize our own narratives musically and artistically. And as the CEO and founder of Born Worthy Records, because I'm not just the queen of Queer Soul, I'm also the CEO and founder of Born Worthy Records, the home of Queer Soul, the one and only record company, the first record company, the first record company, the first record company dedicated solely to Black non-cis women and Black queer people in general. And what we're doing, in addition to releasing Wildflower, a prelude to Freedom Mixtape, we're putting together a docu-series to be coming out in the future where we'll, where we'll be talking about all the genres of music and pre- predominantly all the black queer musicians who led to these genres of music who have changed the world and gone unnoticed. Why? Because Queer Soul is a genre of music I created after dealing with so much discrimination in the music industry as an openly queer person, as, as a queer person. And so I realized that this isn't just my experience. This is so many musicians' experience. And from these two frameworks, we'll be discussing the first episode. From vaudeville to rock and roll. And so what we have named our docuseries, which will be done in some future years via camera and it'll be on television and things like that, We've named it Born Worthy Records Presents Queer Soul and all of the genres of music that have led to it. And we'll be doing four episodes when the docuseries is done, as well as we'll be doing what I'm doing now, a preliminary audio podcast where we're just discussing the topics at hand because we'll be discussing the central figures who have changed the world for all people but as black queer people in the music industry all the way in episode one from vaudeville to rock and roll then in episode two from disco to motown then in episode three, from funk to adult contemporary. Then in episode four, from alternative R&B to queer soul. Long story short, black queer people have been changing the world in more ways than one. But we want to talk about the ways in which black queer people have changed the world musically. Because music is a soundtrack to life. Haven't you had a moment where you were angry, scared, or in pain? And then a song came on and eased all of your troubles? That's the power of music. Haven't you gone to church and seen a sinner fall out flat from a note being hit by the right vocalist in the choir? That's the power of music. And when my paternal parent was on his deathbed from an apparent crack overdose, I came for a week straight and I sang to him every day. Come back to the world, come back to the world, 
Come back to the world. And after I sang that, he came back to life. Now, apparently I made a mistake because my father was a piece of trash. But I have learned that music has power. So let's get into it, shall we? With an each episode of this podcast audio series, we'll be breaking down two genres each that have changed the world and black people have been the helm of them of them both of. But we'll be talking about key figures. And in this first episode, from vaudeville to rock and roll, I want to talk about Josephine Baker. This is what I love about Josephine Baker. Because also in each podcast, we'll be using frameworks that both each artist had to deal with and overcome and what each genre represented at that specific time in civilization. And so when we talk about Stephen Baker, I just want to talk about how the first pop star was a black woman who was a rape survivor. I think it's so easy to look at black female entertainers, cis or non-cis, non-cis or cis. I think it's so easy to look at black female performers and just see the beauty that we herald and see the confidence that we posit. And I feel like it's just so easy to also hear the clarity in which we sing but what people don't always realize is there is a lot of abuse that black females go through before we even decide to dedicate ourselves to the role of a musician it's so easy to see a woman on that stage and see her dancing but it's so hard to understand what she had to overcome Josephine Baker was born in St. Louis, Missouri at the turn of the 19th century. And she grew up in St. Louis during the time that race riots were happening because the Great Migration had just settled down. So black people were moving from the southern states of America to the northern states and the western states like California, Arizona, and Illinois and Missouri and New York State, so forth, so on. And so with that being the case, Josephine Baker was growing up in St. Louis during one of the summers of a horrendous race riot because the white people who were living in St. Louis did not know how to deal with the southern black migrants who came looking for work. And so what that meant was There were bloody dead bodies on the streets when Josephine Baker would wake up. Because at that point, the police were nothing more than a Ku Klux Klan. So the police weren't really arresting anybody. The police were just letting the black bodies hit the ground. And Josephine Baker had to jump over those bodies. Crawl through those bodies. And that's where I I believe she learned to dance. Josephine Baker had to fight death. And it gets to a point where if you have to fight death, you learn to tango. 
Josephine Baker not only grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, during the times of race riots, she also ended up becoming a member of the foster care system. And that was because her mother wanted her to marry an older man, which was quite common in that time, around the 1900s, the early 1900s. Her mother wanted her to marry an older man, and she didn't want to. But she did it anyways, and the man beat her and sexually assaulted her. And then she ran away, and all she left with was his last name, Baker, which is where she got the name Josephine Baker. But with her only being 12 years old, she wasn't able to go too far. So what she did was, while being in group homes, she was actually making money for herself by cleaning up, and she was also being sexually assaulted at many of the foster homes in which she stayed. And then at some point, Josephine Baker got tired of America, and then that's when she started that's when she started to dance her way out of the States. But before that, what she did was she started in the chilling circuits of America. And then next thing you know, one of her performance dates led to her being able to go to Paris. And that's where she was able to live her life as Josephine Baker, La Josephine Baker, and be respected as the ingenue she is. And I just feel like that was necessary to say because people don't always necessarily know Josephine Baker's backstory. People don't always know that Josephine Baker did not just get it because she was a beautiful woman. She got it because she was incredibly talented and skilled. And she was incredibly determined. Because let's just get into what were the frameworks that Josephine Baker, as well as the Ma Rainey's and the Bessie Smith's and the Kokomo Arnold's and the Gladys Bentley's and the Billie Holiday's and the Billy Strayhorn's and the Sisters of the Tharps and the Little Richards. Let's talk about the oppression that they had to deal with. We're talking about the 19, we're talking about the 1900s to around the 1950s. We were dealing with Jim Crow. We were dealing with segregation. We were dealing with J. Edgar Hoover. And he is a person who made no qualms about it. He hated black people. And so with that being said, it's no re it's no reason to wonder why Josephine Baker felt the need to leave America. But the thing is, when she got to Paris, she found a freedom. A freedom that her blackness did not afford her in the States. But on the flip side of that freedom came an open exotification. Josephine Baker was in many relationships, including one with Frida Kahlo. But it was always her relationships with the white men, the cisgender white men to be exact, that she was always surrounded by. Those relationships would leave her rightfully embittered because what she found in Europe was that even though Josephine Baker was free and able to be who she was and express herself as a black woman, what that led to was a lot of her being put on a pedestal. And as the feminist creed goes, a pedestal is still a prison.
And that is what Josephine Baker found herself dealing with. Josephine Baker found herself dealing with a lot of people, a lot of men to be exact, who just exoticized her. In a sense, one could liken Josephine Baker to Sarah Bartman, the Noir Venus, the South African woman named Sarjay Bar uh, Sar Sar Bartman. Excuse me if I butchered her name. I'm pretty sure I did. But, um, the hot and tight Venus woman was a woman from South Africa who was incredibly voluptuous. And when settlers, early settlers, went to South Africa to colonize the African continent and embark upon the slave trade, they found this beautiful woman and they took her and they put her in a human zoo and they took her from South Africa to Europe and paraded her around as an oddity. Now, some would liken Josephine Baker to Sarah Bartman, but they only parallel each other in the sense that they both were taken from their original continents, right? Sarah Bartman was taken from Africa to Europe. But Josephine Baker left the United States of America to go to Paris. Now, one died disease-ridden and penniless. That was Sarah Bartman, who was forced into sex work when she was taken from South Africa to Europe. And then one died actually revered and worshipped as a goddess. And that's because one had music. And while it's unfortunate what happened to Sarah, Sarah Bartman... I'll leave it there, actually. I'll just leave it there. Um, I just wanted to make that parallel because Sarah Bartman and Josephine Baker were both women who used their bodies to navigate the world and find success and status and stability. And hmm, it's just so interesting how Josephine Baker had more agency because she used the vehicle of music as opposed to Sarah Bartman not having any agency because she wasn't considered to be talented. What that shows me and what, sh what that shows us in general is that in the world we live in, a black woman is only considered valuable when she can entertain. Because when it came to Sarah Bartman, her body was commercialized because of its full voluptuousness, as well as that black skin. And then when it came to Josephine Baker, she was given the ability to sexualize herself by dancing topless and in a banana skirt that was very phallic and indicative of sex, she was able to navigate capitalism and racism, but with more agency. And her only saving grace was her ability to sing. That shows us what music does. Because in a world where every black woman is victimized, those of us who can sing know a different burden, a different demise, a different end. Because look at Whitney Houston. 
she was 5'8", but still from Newark, New Jersey. But that voice of a goddess, that voice of an angel gave her the ability to leave the slums, to leave the sticks, to leave where she was and rise higher. But what's the difference between Whitney Houston and any black woman dealing with being afraid to come out the closet in the United States of America? The story of Josephine Baker parallel with the story of Whitney Houston, as well as juxtaposed with the story of Sarah Bartman shows us that in this capitalistic regime we call the world, every black woman is under scrutiny and has to fight for her life. But if you can sing, tap, dance, or twirl, I guess you just don't have to fight as much. I send prayers to the spirit of Josephine Baker. I send prayers to the spirit of Whitney Houston. And I send prayers to the spirit of our sister, Sarah Bartman. I wish that you would have been able to know the success that Josephine Baker knew. Because Sarah Bartman, actually, I amend what I said, she did more than just be a beautiful woman who stood naked. She could sing, she could dance, but she sung songs from her native country, her native continent, Africa, and those European people couldn't understand her. So they said she was just making monkey growls. She could dance, but she danced choreography that people in her native country, her native continent danced. And because it was the foxtrot or whatever the white people in nineteen in the early 1800s were doing, they said she couldn't dance. Sarah Bartman and Josephine Baker are two sides of the same coin. But the currency needs to stop being black women's bodies. Because even though Sarah Bartman died from sexually transmitted diseases because she was so poor, she couldn't even afford to get penicillin. Josephine Baker died from a broken heart. A broken heart from all the white men who promised to love her because she didn't even get it from her own father. She barely knew him. And the men she was forced to marry back in St. Louis, he didn't love her. So, Josephine Baker may have had more agency than Sarah Bartman, but she had less clarity. Sarah Bartman knew that these white men she spread her legs to would never love her. She knew she was just an oddity, an entertaining fancy in the night for them. But Josephine Baker let the limelight fool her and made her think that her body meant more to these white men than it really did. Sarah Bartman may have been seen as just this shapely beast giving coins to dance naked in a human zoo. But Josephine Baker was the mastermind who put together her own world tours and still didn't understand that nobody was going to love her better than her own self. So what Sarah Bartman and Josephine Baker show us is that, well, really what Josephine Baker shows us is that it doesn't matter how much adulation and admiration you get from the world. If you can't find the warmth from your own inner son, you're just waiting to die. 
And quite frankly, the story of Josephine Baker was the story of many, if not all, of the entertainers from the vaudeville genre of music. Because let just let me just clear you know what vaudeville was. What vaudeville vaudeville was vaudeville was the first genre of music made via the gramophone, which was the first listening apparatus before we had computers and ipads we had gramophones which is what the grammys are it's an actual recording device well not a, it's an actual listening device you listen to music for it and when they first started recording music it was vaudeville that was on the street that, that was on the radios on the gramophones and you know what vaudeville was it was white people's racist perception of black people they heard us singing our Negro spirituals on tobacco, cotton, and rice fields across the country. And then they always heard us singing in our ancient tongue and thought that it was crude or animalistic. And so, with that being said, they took those harmonies, those ancient harmonies that we possessed in our souls, and then they made it into vaudeville and so vaudeville musicians were the musicians who had to do the step and fetch it do the black face had to pick that pella cotton on stage and off and it's just so interesting how moving forward from josephine baker to little richard they both ended up in a situation where they had to prove their worth <sighs> You know what? That concludes today's episode of Kokoma, the Queen of Crystal on. And on this episode, we were just talking about Crystal and what led to it and the genres of music that led to it and the pioneers who have been doing it since before we even had a name for it. Because Josephine Baker was a queer soul singer. Little Richard was a queer soul singer. Bessie Smith was a queer soul singer. Billie Holiday was a queer soul singer. Don't ever let anybody tell you that black queer people don't make the world go round. Not only do black queer people make the world go round, but we make it go up. We make it go up with pizzazz, with vibrancy, beauty and finesse so if you're a black queer person whether that's non-cis non-binary queer whatever hold your head up high and come back very soon for the next episode of Kokomo the Queen of Crystal on ellipses <laughs> On whatever I want it to be. But on the next episode, we'll be taking taking it into the second podcast. Which will be based off of the genres of disco and Motown. We're talking Sylvester. We're talking Caribbean. We're talking Marvin Gaye. A lot of people don't know he was queer. We got you, baby. La Bisa Frey. Tony Washington and the Dynamic Superiors. Teddy Pendergrass. Get ready, y'all. See you all soon. And... Tell your friends to listen to, listen to my podcast. Hey, I'm going to let my music play.
I love you, Coco Bites. <laughs> Hello, Coco Bites. You know what time it is. It's Coco Mines, the Queen of Crystal, aka Coco Mama, aka Miss Kinetic, aka the Seraphim Goddess, aka Ashira, aka Mother of the Modern Day Nazis Civil Rights Movement. And it's my pleasure to be here today with you all to bring to you the second installation, installment rather, of my four-part audio podcast series on queer soul, what it is, and the history of American music and how Black people have contributed to it. Now, last week we discussed everything from vaudeville to rock and roll, the greats such as Josephine Baker, Bessie Smith, Kokomo, Arnold, and Little Richard, so forth and so on. The pioneers who were the first to show us what recorded music looked like in regards to queer people. (laughs) That's me. But today, let's talk about the next topic we should discuss. And that is going to be the musicians who gave us Motown and Disco. Now, when people think about disco, we think about Donna Summer. We think about Gloria Gaynor. We think about the village people. But what we should never do is forget the real queen of disco, Sylvester. Sylvester was the prominent, beautiful, dark-skinned, non-binary femme who showed us that artistry was never to be compromised. Sylvester 
born on born in 1940s California Watts Sylvester grew up singing in the black church as a feminine male identified person but who had a strong feminine energy that the church was not always accepting of was not always understanding of and Sylvester before going on to become the queen of disco Sylvester actually was spat upon and sexually abused within that very same church and what Sylvester did is what every queer musician has to do Sylvester had to find a way to define themselves outside of their trauma as a survivor of trafficking ritual abuse and corrective rape myself, I know the burden of having to rearrange your sense of self after incessant abuse is hurled at you with the intent of making you be afraid to be who you are. So I give my salute to Sylvester. And quite frankly, what we've got to do is we've all got to give our salute to Sylvester because Beyonce just came out with her new album Renaissance and we love it. It's beautiful. It's phenomenal. But baby, when she's paying homage to black culture, a lot of that goes to Sylvester. There would be so, there would be so little in the world without Sylvester's contribution. There would be no little Nas X without Sylvester. There would be no Prince without Sylvester. There would have been no Rick James without Sylvester. There wouldn't have been Frank Ocean without Sylvester. And there would be no Kokomo, the queen of her soul, without Sylvester. But let's also talk about another artist who is a proud queer musician who did not necessarily benefit from their queerness, but held it nonetheless, Marvin Gaye. It's not always discussed how he was a proud bisexual man. He wasn't in the closet. He didn't lie about it. He just knew that Motown musicians weren't allowed to always veer from the norm. So when we discuss Marvin Gaye, we've got to discuss how... There would be no Usher without Marvin Gaye. There would be no Michael Jackson without Marvin Gaye. There would be no Chris Brown without Marvin Gaye. There would be no R. Kelly without Marvin Gaye. Now, no matter how problematic these people are, the point is Marvin Gaye influenced them all. Marvin Gaye was the musician who had the Lothario lover man I'll always be here for you. Mentality and musical approach. He showed a vulnerability that black men weren't always able to show. He showed a vulnerability that black men weren't always able to honestly depict on stage and in their music. And he still maintained a masculine edge. And behind his work as a queer person, we've also got to realize that He was tormented by his religion and his sexuality. While he may have been bisexual and queer and proud to be that sexually, he definitely struggled with a lot of gender issues on feeling as if his manhood wasn't as thorough as a cishet's man because he did have an attraction towards men. And so much of Marvin Gaye's work and legacy shows us that we can be our full selves. We don't have to hide who we are. And we don't have to ask people to accept us when they won't. As a survivor, I think now about my relationship with back with my, my parents. I was 
sexually abused and trafficked because I'm a narcissist woman. And what I was taught was that my body wasn't mine. What I was taught is that my body wasn't to be loved. My body wasn't to be appreciated. My body wasn't to be respected. And I can only think about how that impacted Marvin Gaye. Because as a queer person, I'm pretty sure, I'm certain, I know that was also his upbringing. And so as queer people and as queer musicians and as black people, our work is making sure that every member of the black community feels welcomed. It's not right how black queer people are made to feel as if we're less than because of our queerness. And also as if we have to divorce one identity to attend to another. It doesn't work like that. We live in a multiverse, which means we can all be multidimensional. Marvin Gaye is a perfect example of how black people, especially black men, and even more so black queer people, are not always given the leeway, the bandwidth, the space to be our full prismatic selves. Marvin Gaye made so much money for Motown, but he couldn't buy a piece of freedom yourself what does freedom look like to you ask yourself if freedom had a price how much do you think it would cost well that's it for today thank you all so much and see you next week